Didn't they do an awesome job? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. We uh, are shortening our program a little bit today. We're not cutting out the sermon, though, okay? Turn to Luke chapter 1. I will make the sermon a little bit briefer than normal. In Luke chapter 1, we're going to pick it up at verse 11. This is the story of John the Baptist, and his dad and mom, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were barren, and an angel appears to Zechariah in the temple when he's serving as priest. So we're going to pick it up in the middle of that story at verse 11. It says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Last week we talked about it a little bit and I want to keep on talking about it this week. The book of Luke uh, doesn't start with the baptism of Jesus. It doesn't even begin with Jesus' um, birth because God, through the book of Luke, wants us to see something. He wants us to see that the story of Jesus doesn't just begin with his public ministry. Um, it doesn't even begin with the birth of Jesus. But the story of Jesus began long before any of that. Because the story about Jesus is the story of God's redemptive plan for his people. And it's about God's redemptive plan for the world. And God set this plan in motion all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. They needed rescuing. Why? Because of their sin. And every single person born since then needs rescuing as well. So God provides someone to rescue us from our sin. Now, what we just heard in the, in the children's Christmas musical and the songs they were singing was about Jesus. And that's what this time of the season is about. But God prepared the way by first sending John the Baptist. So God's unveiling his plan for people to clearly see where he's working and how he is working. Now, do you all know what the last book written in the Old Testament is? It's not a trick question. It's Malachi. It actually is literally the last book. If you go just start flipping through pages in the Old Testament, it'll be Malachi, and then the very next book is the first book in the New Testament. It's Matthew. But even chronologically, the Bible in the Old Testament doesn't necessarily go chronologically, uh, but Malachi is literally the last prophet. He is literally chronologically comes right up to about 400 B.C., about 400 years before Jesus comes onto the scene. Now, what is going on for those 400 years between the time of Malachi and when Jesus comes on the scene? What was God doing? It's called the 400 years of silence. And what God was doing 
was preparing his people. He was preparing them to be able to be at a point where they could see John the Baptist being the forerunner, where they could be ready to receive the anointed one, God's very son. And part of this plan that God had included John. If you look in Malachi, hold your place in Luke, because we'll come back to it, but but look in Malachi chapter 3. Here's what it says in verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So he's going to prepare the way. Who is he preparing the way for? The Lord, right? And, and literally, Emmanuel, as we just were hearing the kids sing, God with us. God with us. So God appears in flesh. And here's the thing. Before God acts, he prepares. But, but he prepares what? He, he doesn't need to get prepared himself. He's always prepared. So what is he preparing? He's preparing his people. And sometimes, listen to me, sometimes it can seem like God is silent. Listen, during that 400 years of silence that people call it, I mean, God was doing a whole lot of stuff. There's some amazing history of how God was preserving his people that God decided not to include in the Bible, but is still there. So God, even in that silence, so to speak, was still at work. And here's the thing. God is always at work. He is always at work. Even Jesus says this in John chapter 5. He says, my father is working until now. And I am working. So both the Father and the Son are working. Part of that work is preparing us. God's at work in our lives. He's getting us ready for future trials, for afflictions, for temptations. So we're ready for those things. But he's also at work preparing us for ministry. He's also at work working in us to become more like his son, Jesus. So sometimes we can ask God, where are you at? Well, his answer is he's right here. Emmanuel, God with us. And sometimes we might say, God, I don't see you working. His answer is, trust me, I am working. So God has a plan. He's actively working at it. So John is the forerunner. Now let's think about that for a second. John's the forerunner to prepare the way. God wants his people prepared for the message. Micah tells us 400 years before, 400 years, he prophesies about John coming. Jesus tells us John was the forerunner. A little bit later in Luke, he says this. He talks to the crowds. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? He's talking about John the Baptist here. A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. And then he's going to quote the Malachi passage here. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Now what does it say about the person. Now think about this. 
What does it say about the person that John is preparing the way for? I mean, if you're preparing the way and you're sent by the Lord to prepare the way for someone, that person must be a great person. It must be a person that we would want to know about. I mean, not just know about, it'd be someone we'd want to know. You don't just send a forerunner for anyone. John is sent to prepare the way for someone great that is coming. Now, throughout history, we've actually seen different leaders come and go, some great, some not so great. One of the more powerful his, uh, leaders in Russian history was Catherine the Great. <clears throat> she was the ruler of Russia for 34 years and basically ushered in Russia's golden age. She brought about a time of expansion for Russia. She led and enlightened her nation. Uh, one of the ways she did this was basically kind of like getting rid of her husband. <laughs> Knocking him off with the help of a gentleman by the name of Gregory Potemkin also known as the Prince of the Holy Roman Empire. They were lovers. He was basically her official consort. And during their relationship, one night he decided to take her on a date night. And it was a nice little cruise along the shores of this newly conquered Crimean region that he had just conquered. He wanted to Impressor, right? What do you want? What does every guy want to do with with his girlfriend? He wants to impress her. He wants to really impress her. And what does every guy end up doing when he tries to impress a girl? He acts dumb. Okay. <clears throat> what? How did he act dumb? He secretly ordered fake villages and settlements to be built along the river where they were going to be floating down as he's showing off all this conquered land. He wanted to make sure the conquered land looked like it was, it was livable and people were still there and that he could show, these are the people that I have conquered. So he had these settlements built. He had even actors in the villages, little fires going. I mean, he kind of went like with the whole nine yards. Uh, he pulled a fast one on her and he actually got away with it. <clears throat> she never found out about it. Here's the thing. I think sometimes we don't want to end up like Catherine the Great. We don't want to get duped. No one wants to end up getting tricked, right? I don't want to be tricked. You want to be tricked? And I think when it comes to the message that God has for us sometimes, we can, um, we can, we can hesitate a little bit. But here's the thing. God's message... He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to dupe you. He wants to help you, and he wants to intervene for you. Uh, listen, God is real. He saw the hurt. He saw the suffering. He still sees the hurt. He still sees the suffering. The sin we've done, the bad choices we've made, and friends, he did something about it. I mean, think about this. We have four different accounts of the life of Jesus. we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four different accounts written by four different writers, written at four different times, and they all essentially say the same thing about Jesus. You can read each one. And when you read any of them, one of the things that they're really good at doing is letting Jesus speak for himself. They just, they just quote Jesus and let him speak for himself. And what is the message that Jesus shares? Well, it's captured in Luke 19, 
when Jesus says this, I came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus goes on to tell the people back then and to us today by way of extension that we're all lost. That we all need Jesus to come and save us. What did God do? Well, he sent his son. He saw the problem way back in the garden, that there was a sin issue. And he wanted to rescue the people in the garden, the people after the garden, all the way down to us today. God wants to rescue us. But the sin is what we need rescuing from. we got sin in our life. We've made bad choices. We've done bad things. We've displeased the Lord. We've sinned against, ultimately, him. Well, we've probably sinned against other people, sure, but ultimately every sin is against God himself. So we were in rebellion. Just like you parents, sometimes we can have rebellious children. Well, we were in rebellion against God with our sin. And God, in his love, reached out to us through his son. He sent his son to deliver the most important message. Now you think about that. You got an important message. God chooses his very own son to deliver that message to us. And the message is a message of hope. You know, I looked up good news in the Bible, and it occurs hundreds of times, actually. Then I looked up bad news in the Bible, It only occurs twice. I mean, God wants to deliver good news and good news and good news and good news. Now, there is some some bad news. And the bad news is is that we have fallen short, the Bible says in Romans, of the glory of God. We've fallen short, and and that we, on our current trajectory, we're headed towards a life without God, a life in hell, separated from God forever. But the good news is that Jesus provided the way back to the Father. God offers each one of us, each one of us, the gift of eternal life through his Son. He didn't have to do that, but he wanted to redeem a people for his own. And if you're here listening to that message, you can be redeemed through that message, through what Christ did for you on the cross. He lived the perfect life. We, you know, this time of year, we're celebrating about Jesus being born. Then there's about 30 years or so before he begins what people call his public ministry, the stuff that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he lived roughly 30, 33 years or so on this earth. Perfect. In perfect relationship with man and perfect relationship with God. And what was the result? People got jealous. People got angry. People didn't like what he was saying. So they crucified him. But that was actually part of God's plan all along. That didn't catch God off guard. That was part of his plan for his son to willingly give his own life. Jesus wasn't forced onto the cross. No one made him go to it. He agreed before he ever came to earth. Listen to me. He agreed before he ever came to earth with his father to go to the cross. And when he was on that cross, he bore the punishment of all of us. His righteousness was given to us, and he took on our sin. It's called the great exchange. We get what he has, he gets what we have. 
He exchanges our sin and gives us his righteousness. How does that get given to us? The Bible says that happens through faith. Through faith. That's like the channel or the vehicle through which it comes to us. Just like if you're thinking, I don't have my glass of water like I normally have. Man, we're really, they really want to keep me short today. <clears throat> but that glass of water, right? <clears throat> That's like faith. And the water in there is like the salvation. Okay? God's grace is poured out upon each one of us. God uses faith, like the cup, to get the salvation to us, to get God's grace to us. We're, we're saved by God's grace through faith. And God offers that to each one of us today, an opportunity to have the slate completely wiped clean. The reset button hit. All sins forgiven. Past, present, and future. It's a glorious thing, friends. I encourage you, if you have not trusted in Christ, make today the day that you do that. You will not regret it. I'm not encouraging you to do it just because it might make you feel good. I think it will, actually. I'm encouraging you to do it because the testimony of the scriptures, which are truth, bear witness that it is true. I'm not asking you to do something just that is kind of subjective. I'm asking you to do something that God himself has made clear each one of us needs to do. So we act because God has spoken. He spoke first, all the way back in Genesis, and he's been speaking ever since, and we react to what he has told us. One of the things that we need to do, he's told us, is to repent, to forsake our sin and trust in the work of his son. Then we will be forgiven and have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have life through your Son. We thank you, Father, that you are so good to us, that you sent your Son, that during this Christmas season we celebrate him entering into this world, Emmanuel, God with us. And Father, we thank you that you've been working this plan out before the beginning of time. That you've been active and you've been seeking out a people for your own. And Lord, we thank you for your grace that you offer it to any and to all. I pray, Lord, that each person here would trust in you, trust in your Son and his work on the cross, that it was enough. And we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.